the importance of last words. In our culture, parting comments carry weight. They carry significance. And in the Bible, we we think of, of Jesus just before his ascension into heaven, his sharing of the Great Commission to all who would follow as his disciples. Not just the ones there that day, but to all who would follow us. Perhaps we're reminded of of the last words of Moses to Joshua and the Israelites as they're getting ready to cross the Jordan and go into the Promised Land. Moses was not able to go with them. But Moses had some important parting comments for them as they were to depart across the Jordan. And, And today we begin looking at the last known writings of Peter. Peter, the one called from the fishing boat to to follow Jesus and to build the Lord's church. Peter, that that rash, impetuous disciple who, who swore he would never deny Jesus, but following his broken promise, Peter would be reinstated to tend to the flock of the Lord. Peter, who for the glory of the Lord Jesus would go on to love and care for the church. And if you were with us in January, we studied Peter's first letter, and today we begin looking at, at 2 Peter. And a, and a couple of comments as we begin. One commentator wrote, he summed it up nicely. He said, 2 Peter provides information on how early Christianity, the early church, handled its heritage, articulated its identity, and, and found its way in the world. And it's fascinating how the church is still striving to do some of those very same things in these days. Thomas Schreiner, another writer, gives us a couple of comments. He says, some of the central themes that we will see in the entire letter appear in this greeting. The centrality of our faith in the Christian life, the saving righteousness of God, the the primacy of Jesus, that Jesus is the central figure to all of this, and the importance of of knowing God and, and knowing the Lord Jesus Christ. And Schreiner would, would go on to say that the, that the letter is dated shortly before Peter's death, anywhere in the years 60 to 68, so it's first century, with tradition being that Peter was in Rome at the end of his life. And so this first century letter was most likely sent to churches in Asia Minor like what we read in 1 Peter. But what else? It's a first century letter, and in 2021, it still holds up. It's still good stuff. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. This is who I am, this is to whom I'm writing, and this is the message. Peter says, Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. For his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. Through these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so that by them you may become partakers of of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world on account of lust. So Peter introduces this letter, and, and, and he says he's associated with Jesus in two ways, as a bondservant and as an apostle. So what is a bondservant? Someone who belongs to another. A bond slave 
without any ownership rights of his or her own. And ironically, this term is used with the highest dignity in the New Testament, which sounds strange in our ears, but it's, it's about believers who willingly live under Christ's authority as his devoted followers. And that's, that's a biblical definition. And, and this is challenging language in these days, but that's what it says. So, so not just a bond servant or a bond slave, but an apostle as well. And we've heard of apostles, we know the word, but we might need to be reminded of what the meaning is. It's a, it's a messenger, one sent on a mission, being an appointed servant. And Peter says, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours by the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ. So who's the audience? To all of those who have received a faith, a confidence, a a belief, a trust, a, a faith having been received, not earned. Who have received a faith? And and Peter says a faith of the same kind as ours. Biblically speaking, that means equally privileged, equal, and honor. So what is Peter saying here? The same confidence, the same confidence which Peter and the other disciples, the other apostles, have as a result of, of seeing the risen Savior. Even though we were not in that upper room when Jesus appeared after the resurrection, when Jesus walked in that room, when he showed up in that room, And those disciples saw him, they touched his wounds, he breathed a a blessing of his peace and his spirit over them. They're they're apostles, and and though we were not in that room, and we're not apostles, we are still able to have that exact same confidence. That exact same confidence, that very same trust. It's not just for them, it's for all who would trust him and the transforming power that comes from realizing Jesus in all of his glory, all of his power and lordship. And that is good stuff. That's good stuff. So, so what kind of faith has been received? Not earned, but received. It's a faith by the righteousness because of the righteousness of God. All right, so we're saying that God gives us faith. We have faith, but God gives us... How, how does that work? Well... It's a hard concept, but faith, the faith that we have in the Lord, the Lord's always at work. Henry Blackaby said that, that the Lord is always at work. His Spirit is always at work. And so as our faith is pulled into the things of God, we are given the righteousness of Jesus. And as a result, our faith grows. So we bring our faith. He brings His righteousness. We bring our faith, which He's actually... (laughs) putting in us, but we bring it. He gives us his righteousness, and then our faith grows. So, so faith begets righteousness, begets growing faith. It's, it's of God. That's the only way we can really explain it. A, a faith by the righteousness of our God and our Savior Jesus Christ. Righteousness of which God is the source and the author. He's the goal. He's the one who, he's the one who starts it, and he's the one who gets it. And, and Peter says, grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of God and of Jesus Christ our Lord. So Peter gives this greeting of of grace and blessing of peace. Grace, favor, kindness, peace, peace of mind, wholeness, when all is settled and at rest. Doesn't that sound good? And Peter says, be multiplied. 
May there, may there be much grace and peace. May there be an increase. And actually, the word used is the same word from where we get the term plethora. So Peter is saying, may there be a plethora of grace, a plethora of peace. Boy, that sounds good, doesn't it? That's good stuff. And we know it's a lot of grace and peace. But what manner of grace and peace? It's grace and peace in the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. You you see this word knowledge. It actually reads as two words in one. It literally means, quote unquote, on knowledge or in knowledge. It's contact knowledge. Knowledge which shows a relational context. Knowledge due to a relationship. So it's not a kind of a general passing knowledge, but it's an intimate knowledge. In verse 3, Peter says, For his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and excellence. The Lord's divine power has granted to the church everything. Everything. Everything pertaining to life and godliness. Again, that's good stuff. Let's talk about this power. It's divine. It's of God. And unlike anything that ever was or would ever be, the same power shown in creation which, which took just a spoken word, this same power has broken the shackles of sin. This same power raised Jesus from the dead. This, this same power, literally this dynamite, the word dunamis, power, this is resurrection power. And, and it's granted everything pertaining to life and godliness. So, so in essence, everything. And it's a pretty tall order and, and it's a pretty strong claim. Uh, we love TV. We, 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 we binge watch shows, new shows on Netflix and Hulu and Disney+. Plus. But we love classic TV as well. It's hard to beat Andy Griffith, isn't it? Do you remember, do you remember the story about the loaded goat. Hudge brings the goat to town, and the goat gets loose. Yeah, he finds the dynamite bin in downtown Mayberry, because every downtown should have a dynamite bin, right? All right, so the goat gets loose. He finds the dynamite bin and has a snack, because as we know, goats have a healthy appetite. When they find out what's going on, everyone then proceeds with caution around the goat. So a question, do folks recognize a dynamic power in you, the very life of God? Peter has said that the Lord's divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness, life, a present physical life and a future spiritual life, and it's a blending of the two. So not just the present physical and not just the future spiritual, but a present spiritual life. And godliness. Well, what's this? Uh, We've heard the word, a biblical definition of godliness. It's an inner response to the things of God which shows itself in godly reverence, a, a godly heart response. And we hear that term godliness. And, and truth be told, maybe, maybe we feel like it shouldn't matter anymore. I mean, it is 2021 for Pete's sake. Godliness? But evidently, it matters still to the Lord. Another question, how has his divine power granted to us 
everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him. And this same knowledge as seen in verse 2, this on knowledge, quote unquote, this contact knowledge, this, this knowledge which shows a relational context, knowledge due to relationship, this full knowledge of him, this is not a general passing knowledge. I know a little bit about a lot of things. I know a whole lot about a few things. Like, like you, we all have an interest or two that, where we know a lot about it. And then we could talk a variety about a little bit about a lot of things, a general knowledge. But this is not what this implies. This implies a relationship which is more than a general acquaintance. It's, it's a relationship of intimacy. It's spending time with, with the Lord and the things of the Lord. Spending time with the Lord, the very one who called us by his own glory and his own excellence, by his own glory, his, his divine intrinsic worth, his renown, his honor, his splendor, his unique nature, unique, only begotten Son of God. The Lord called out to us by his own glory and, and also by his own excellent, upright goodness. He has indwelt us with divine power, the very life of God in the, in the form of the Holy Spirit. We see this in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13. Paul writes to the church about what the Holy Spirit does at the moment of salvation. He says, In him you also, after listening to the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. And this Holy Spirit in which you were sealed is given as a pledge of our inheritance. It's given to you as a down payment of what is to come. The glory of heaven. The glory of a, of a relationship with the Father. With a view to the redemption of God's own possession to the praise of His glory. This divine power manifesting in us at the moment when you and I turned from our sins to trust in what Jesus did on the cross. This divine power who called us out is the same divine power who grants equipping through a relationship of, of contact knowledge, of intimate relationship, and that's good stuff. So who is this one? It's Jesus. Jesus, the one who, who called Peter out of the fishing boat. Jesus would, would later call Peter to a, to a deeper level of devotion with his glory and his excellence made manifest through his ministry. Through his transfiguration, Peter was able to see a preview of, of the Lord's heavenly, excellent glory there on the mountain. Jesus' death and resurrection. And Jesus commissioned Peter to build his church and, and attend his sheep, Jesus. And in verse 4, Peter says, Through these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, so, so that by them you may become partakers of the divine nature having escaped the corruption that is in the world on account of lust. Through his power, his righteousness, and his knowledge, the Lord has granted to us, has granted to us, has given to us. We did not earn it. He has granted and given to us his precious and magnificent promises. So a reminder, what is a promise? Well, Merriam-Webster.com says the following. A declaration that one will do or refrain from doing 
something specified. So when one makes a promise, one is supposed to be making a commitment. And these promises, they are described as precious. They are of great price. They are of great value. They are, they are described as magnificent. They are great. They are significant. They are abundant. And, and the word in the original language sounds, means what it sounds. The word mega, like mega value meal or mega million, mega is abundant, big, magnificent, great. It's by these promises, these mega promises, that you and I may become partakers. We may share in, we may become partners in the divine nature. The divine nature. Divine nature, and when we think of the word nature... In terms of our lives and our behavior, what comes to mind? Our, our natural bent, our inclination, our, our hard wiring, how, how you're wired up or how I'm wired up. Our underlying instincts, our, our rhythms, our habits, our nature, which is unlike the nature of God, the divine nature. And, and Peter is saying we may become partners in this divine nature. How can Peter say that? Peter was with Jesus on the night of the Last Supper. And in John chapter 17, there's a famous prayer which Jesus prays to the Father there at the meal on behalf of all of those who would follow him. In John 17, Jesus prays to the Father, But now I'm coming to you, Father, and these things I speak in the world so that they, the ones who are here and the ones who would follow me, not just in this room, that they may have my joy made full in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Jesus says, sanctify them, set them apart in the truth. Your word is truth. Jesus continues, just as you, Father, sent me into the world, I also sent them into the world And for their sakes I sanctify myself so that they themselves may be sanctified, set apart in truth. I am not asking on behalf of these alone, Jesus says, but also for those who believe in me through their word. These in the room with Jesus would go on to teach and preach and minister and write letters Many of them would be in the New Testament. And they would go and they would plant churches. And they would, the doors of the world would be opened and the word of the gospel would spread. Here this morning, <laughs> we are those who are here because we have heard the words of the Lord through the words of those who followed him that night. Amen. And Jesus prayed for us that night. I'm not asking on behalf of these alone, but also for those who believe in me through their word. And Jesus said, so that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you. And they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. The glory which you have given me, I also have given to them, so that they may be one, just as we are one. And you know what? That's... As I'm reading this again for the umpteenth time, you know, the Lord is always speaking. That's what the Lord demands of us. Do you know that? That we would be one. Mm. He says this, The glory which you have given me, I also have given them, so that they may be one just as we are one, I and them, and you and me, 
that they may be perfected in unity so that the world may know that you sent me. It's all for his glory, not for ours, not for our preferences, not for our druthers, but all for the glory of Jesus. And he says this, that the world will know, Father, that you sent me and that you loved them just as you loved me. Mm. We're one with Jesus. That's good stuff. When Peter says that we can become partakers of the divine nature, partners in this, having escaped the corruption that is in the world, the corruption, the destruction, the decay, the rottenness, which is symptomatic of our world and our culture, why does this seem to be the case? Peter says that this corruption is on account of lust. Uh Uh-oh. Question, is lust a symptom or is lust the cause? Yes. Well, first, we probably ought to have a working definition of lust. This ought to be good. Merriam-Webster.com defines lust as an intense or unbridled sexual desire, an intense longing. It doesn't have to be physical. Craving, longing for the forbidden. So why is it that our ears perk up when we hear that word, forbidden? It's our natural bent. It's our nature. To what is Peter referring when he makes the statement, corruption that is in the world on account of desire? To what is Peter referring? The woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was desirable to make one wise. Hmm. In spite of the warning... She took some of its fruit, and she ate. And she also gave some to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened. What did the serpent say to her earlier that day? You certainly will not die. For God knows that on the day you eat from this, your eyes will be opened. And you will become like God, knowing good and evil. You will know corruption because you desired what was forbidden. You will know corruption because you desired what was forbidden. Mm. And, And Peter is saying that we've been given an escape from our fate of corruption. Amen. Because of of precious, magnificent promises made to us. The promise of, of salvation. The promise of the Holy Spirit. Because of the power shown by the cross of Jesus. A precious promise of great value. The precious blood of the Lamb of God. Shed on the cross for us. There the precious blood of the precious Lamb was spilled. Jesus Jesus, his blood shed for us to redeem us, to buy us back from the corruption of sin. Precious Jesus, our only good. The promise of salvation, the promise of the Holy Spirit. On on the night of his arrest, Jesus said he would give a comforter, a, a helper to all who would follow him. Not just in that room that night, but for all who would follow But in order for that helper, that comforter, the Holy Spirit to to show up, Jesus would have to go and return to the Father. Jesus, the one who called Peter out of the fishing boat. Jesus, 
who would later call Peter to a deeper level of devotion with his glory and excellence made manifest through his ministry. Jesus' ministry, Jesus' transfiguration, Jesus' suffering, Jesus' death on the cross, Jesus' resurrection. And Jesus' commission to Peter to build the church and to tend the sheep. Jesus' flock. Jesus. And and because, as we saw in the very first verse today, we are equally privileged, equally honored in salvation. Because we can receive the very same kind of faith. The very same kind of faith. Everything Jesus promised and delivered to Peter, Jesus has promised the very same things to us. The very same things. Jesus has promised himself to you and to me. And that's good stuff. (laughs) No, that's great stuff. Matter of fact, it's the very best. It's Jesus himself.